Welcome to the Think Orange podcast, where we want to encourage and equip leaders like you who are investing in the faith and future of the next generation. I'm your host, Shane Sanchez, and in this season of the podcast, we're talking about what it means to be more human and lead humans in the tension. We're so excited for you to listen to this breakout from Orange Conference by Jake Mulder about leading change. Jake Mulder is the Senior Director of Strategy at the Fuller Youth Institute, or FYI, and Fuller's Executive Director of Leadership Formation Division. Jake is passionate about helping individuals and organizations achieve their full potential and is the co-author of Growing Young. And we can't wait for you to get to learn from him. So let's dive in. We're going to start out uh, with this phrase, change or die. Now, that's not a threat to each of you from me. Uh, We're going to raise the heat a little bit thinking about our ministries. And I uh, offer that phrase because it's actually the name of a decent book that's worth a read here called Change or Die. But in Change or Die, the reason they call it that is they kick off with this statistic. In Change or Die, they start by looking at a research study that was done of heart patients. And these were people whose health was so poor, they've been told by their doctors, you need to make changes to your lifestyle or you're going to die. Okay, that's where the change or die comes from. Could you make the necessary changes if your life depended on it? What they trace in the book is in that study, 90% of these heart patients, nine, zero, did not make the necessary lifestyle changes they needed to make in order to prolong their life. 90% did not make those changes. Next statistic. Uh, Research from the Harvard Business Review, from McKinsey and Company, looking at organizations that launch change efforts, reveals that 70% of the change efforts that are launched in organizations end up failing. 70% of change efforts that are launched in organizations end up failing. You're really glad you came to this session, aren't you, right? (laughs) We're starting with the depressing part, and then we're going to move into what we can actually do about those realities. Case in point of what we're talking about is that the world changes and often changes quickly. And our organizations, our ministries, our leadership, we need to be willing and able to change and adapt with a changing world. Blockbuster Video is one of those that is a kind of a, a really a poster child of a failed change effort, where what, 10, 15 years ago, there was this upstart called Netflix, and you could get these DVDs in the mail, and Blockbuster failed to adapt, and today you've got Netflix as a very successful company. Uh, let's see, I think the, the documentary says it all, the last Blockbuster video, there is no longer a Blockbuster video, right? Any, any physical stores? Anybody from a place where you still have one? Right, so that's part of the transition that we're experiencing. Here's how that applies to ministry. If those statistics give us the reality for what's happening in the health field, If those statistics give us the reality for what's happening in business or other organizations, for those of us who are in ministry, who have experienced some of the largest changes that we've ever experienced in ministry over these last two years, how can we ensure that our own efforts to lead and manage change are successful? 
Uh, and really the phrases are in the title of the talk here. How can we ensure that we are both leading up and that we're managing adaptive change in ministry? So a little bit more about me. Uh, again, Jake Mulder, Fuller Youth Institute at Fuller Seminary, normally at Orange Conference. I just say, I work for Kara. And everybody goes, oh, okay, Kara, she's really smart. Great, we can trust you too. So that's a little bit about me. Uh, I led the research and then co-authored the book Growing Young with uh, Kara and Brad Griffin. And that was a study of 250 churches in the United States that were thriving in their ministry with teenagers and young adults. So we profiled that in the book Growing Young. That book came out five, six years ago. So most of my work since then has focused on, okay, so for a church that's not currently thriving in its ministry with young people and needs to do things differently, how do we actually sustain, how do we lead those changes to move into a different form of ministry? Uh, so I've led training of about 700 churches through the Fuller Youth Institute, where we've gone through a one to two year in-depth change process called uh, the Growing Young Cohort or the Sticky Faith Cohort. In addition to that, I am just about done with my PhD at Fuller Seminary, which is focused on congregational leadership and change. So that's part of where these concepts are going to come from. We have just finished leading a two-year training of about 30 churches, 15 of them in Southern California and 15 of them in Chicago. It's called the Labs Cohort. And that was our deepest look. We were trying to study them along the way to figure out which of those churches made the changes, which of them didn't, and why. So let's do a deep dive for just a minute, and then we'll go to some of the concepts. But a deep dive, a leadership case study into community Christian church. Kara and her talk this morning already introduced you to Aaron Kohler. Aaron was and is the student community pastor at Community Christian. In January of 2020, so just over two years ago, when they began this journey, they were excited, they were enthusiastic, and some of you are wondering, Community Christian, is that the Community Christian that I've heard of in Chicago? The chance is probably uh, their senior pastor, Dave Ferguson, runs uh, Exponential and a handful of other things, so right, they're a very influential church on the national stage. They began in January 2020 enthusiastic about what they were going to do. We were intentional early on that this couldn't just be, say, a youth leader or a kids ministry leader. You had to have broader church leadership involved. So Aaron actually had his senior or his executive pastor along with him for the journey. Things went very well in January of 2020. Things went very well in February of 2020. And then around rolled March of 2020, which is when for many of us, the pandemic began to show up. So for Aaron and Community Christian Church, pre-pandemic, uh, their ministry looked like this. This is an actual photo from their church, and their normal approach to youth ministry was either on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning. They'd have people show up in person. They'd start out with about 20 minutes of games. They'd move into 15 to 20 minutes of worship. They'd move into a 20, depending on who was speaking, 20 to 35-ish minute sermon. And then, you know, if there was any time left over at the end, they would do a small group because they value small groups, right? Often that got pinched to five minutes or whichever volunteers happened to show up that day. Well, they moved from doing this in person in March 2020 to doing the same thing, but doing it by Zoom. Anybody else been there? At first, they thought, this is a great idea. 
We don't have to prepare in the same way. We don't need the physical space. Imagine how many more teenagers we're gonna be able to reach if everybody can just do this from Zoom. Oh, how naive many of us were early in the pandemic, right? So at first they saw a little bit of bump in engagement with their high school ministry when it went to Zoom because this was new. And by bump, it was like for about three weeks. And then they went through that decline that most other student ministries that I know went through during COVID when everything went online because they were trying to take their original form of ministry and run it over Zoom or some other platform. So this is the story you heard Kara talk about where, enro- where attendance at their church went down, 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 including in the student ministry. Well, one of the things that we had taken them through in this labs cohort was a listening process. And later you're hear- gonna hear me talk about leadership begins with listening. And we wanted them to listen to the teenagers in their church, not just tell them what they needed to do, but really listen to the students. And out of that listening, the conclusion that Aaron and his team came to is what Kara talked about this morning. Our students during the pandemic, the thing that they need most is a sense of belonging and connection. They need to know that there is someone there who cares about them, who knows their name and is engaged with them. Out of that, what they ended up doing in fall of 2020 was they got the permission from their senior leadership, and that was important that they had permission from their senior leadership to drop all of the normal programming that they were trying to do and to try an absolute experiment. And that experiment was highly empowered adults and volunteers who led small group ministries that looked a lot of different ways. But again, highly empowered volunteers And it flipped what Aaron and his team were doing before, where they always said they valued small groups. They always said that relational discipleship radically focused on Jesus was important, but it wasn't actually reflected in the way that they did their programming. What was a small focus in fall of 2020 became their entire focus. Everything that they did was about adults investing in teenagers. That strategy paid off. Attendance skyrocketed to about 400 students during the pandemic who were involved in their ministry. Now I'm gonna go past the version of the story that Kara told because they sustained that for about six months. It was the rest of their ministry year in 2020 where everything was still going very well and I would say into early 2021. I got a phone call uh, from Aaron just a couple of months ago, and uh, this cohort training that we were doing had finished. I said, you know, hey, Aaron, how are things going now? And he said, well, that's actually the reason that I'm calling you. We had sustained this for about six months, but in one of those COVID waves, when things started to decline, our church made the decision that we are getting back to church as normal. Anybody else, uh, your church use that phrase, right? We're gonna get back to church as normal. And Aaron said, so there was pressure from senior leadership in the church. There was pressure from parents in the church. Everybody wanted to get back to the way that we did things before the pandemic actually hit. And he said, and part of that was actually enticing because we have had a really hard time recruiting and training volunteers. And he had said, we've come to the point that we know what's most transformative for our students is when there are adults who invest, who are investing in them relationally. Here's the challenge. We can't find the adults. We don't have them. So we need to go back to something that we can actually sustain. So he said, you know, from that time where we really hit our peak and the growth happened, we sustained it for about six months. I would say at this point, we're pretty close back to square one where we were pre-pandemic, where 
the main style of ministry that we're running looks like this, but it's back in person. He said, it's going okay, but it's not as strong as we want it to be. And he was calling to get my advice because he said, we want to get back to that form of ministry. Can you give me some advice about how we can get back to that form of ministry? And that form of ministry looked a lot like this. This is an actual shot from their church. Uh, It didn't always take place outdoors, but it was, again, about adults who are investing in kids through relationship. So what I want to get into from here is, again, how can we lead up? How can we lead adaptive change in our ministry settings? Uh, And what I want to do is get into that through this concept of adaptive versus technical change. And when I had this conversation with Aaron, and if I could rewind in my conversation with him to give him some of the absolutely essential leadership and change concepts that he needed, um, this one absolutely would be at the top of my list. And I will tell you a little bit more about why as we uh, get into this next phase. So this idea of adaptive versus technical leadership, it comes from Ron Heifetz. Ron is at Harvard. He's written a book called Leadership on the Line. There are others, but this is what he says about this concept. The single most common source of leadership failure that we've been able to identify is that people, especially those in positions of authority, treat adaptive challenges like technical problems. Now, I'm going to unpack what that means, but Ron Heifetz is in the leadership and change world, not just in the church, but broadly one of the most influential and best-selling voices of the last couple decades. He's at Harvard. He's doing a lot of high-level stuff. When you have someone like that starting to make broad, sweeping statements, like the single most common source of leadership failure that we've seen, Those are the sort of things that we want to start to pay attention to. And it's important, not just because someone smart said it, but as we get into this, if you haven't heard these concepts before, I think you're going to see how and why these play out. So let's talk about the difference a second between an adaptive and a technical change. A technical change or a technical problem occurs when the problem is relatively clear A leader or an expert can solve the problem for you. Third, it does not require people to change their attitudes, values, and behaviors. And number four, things will go back to the way that they were once the problem is solved. That's a technical challenge or a technical change. Heifetz contrasts that with an adaptive challenge or an adaptive change. An adaptive challenge is one where the problem and the solution is not immediately clear. Those people who are the ones experiencing the problem need to be part of solving it. Third, it requires people to make a change in their attitudes, values, and behaviors. And number four, once the problem is solved, things may not go back to the way that they were before. All right, I've just given you eight points, so let me unpack that through an example real quick. Uh, Has anybody ever had a check engine light come on in your car or any sort of dashboard indicator in your vehicle? Okay, wonderful. Uh, Not wonderful, but wonderful. Most of the time, when a light comes on in your car and something needs to be repaired, that is a technical problem. Let's run it through the test real quick. If your check engine light comes on, The problem's clear. You need to check your engine. 
a leader and expert can solve the problem. Yep, you take it over to the mechanic most of the time and say, I don't know what's going on, can you fix this? Three, it does not require you to make a change in your attitudes, values, and behaviors. It probably involves an exchange of money, right? Sometimes a lot of money, but you don't have to deeply change who you are as a human being for your car to be repaired. And things go back to the way they were once the problem is solved, at least hopefully, right? Your car continues to function. Different example. Let's say that you have a vehicle that you share with a family member, and let's just imagine you don't think said family member is a wonderful driver. Just, you know, for experiment's sake. I'm sure no one has a spouse or younger person in their family they feel that way about. Let's imagine that the way that person drives the car or truck or whatever it is that you drive continues to lead to problems with the vehicle so that that vehicle needs to get repaired by the mechanic. They either run into things or run over things or accelerate or brake too quickly, right? I don't want to send anybody into PTSD here, but you can just imagine that. Well, if that sort of problem is happening, there's a good chance that it's an adaptive challenge. There might be something wrong with the car, but it takes you a while to figure out how did that thing actually become wrong with the car because that person didn't tell me what they were doing. The problem isn't clear. You can't solve the problem for that person. Number two, they will have to be part of learning a different way of driving and treating the vehicle for the vehicle to end up being okay. It's going to require a change in their attitudes, values, and behaviors. And then number four, their driving will not go back to the way that it was once the problem is actually solved. Let's apply this to Aaron and Community Christian for just a second. When the pandemic hit, and Aaron wanted to take the ministry, or he was told, we're taking the ministry online. Overall, that was a technical problem that he was dealing with, just the simple reality of taking it online. The problem was clear. We can't gather in person. We need to gather online. Okay, great. We can handle that. A leader or expert could solve the problem. They're at a large church. They could call their tech person, and the tech person could solve it all for them. Aaron just needed to stand on the stage, and the camera would be pointed in the right direction. Immediately, it didn't require a change in attitudes, values, and behaviors. It was just, we used to attend in person, now we can attend online. And the plan was that things would go back to the way they had always been. We used to engage ministry in person, now we'll engage it online. That's technical. Here's an adaptive challenge that Aaron was dealing with. They realized during the pandemic, our teenagers need different type of ministry than we were offering before and in the early stages of the pandemic. We cannot be a primarily program-driven from stage church. We need adults in our church who are willing to roll up their sleeves, get messy, and invest relationally in the lives of our teenagers. That is an adaptive challenge. You can run it through the test and you will see why that is an adaptive challenge. And what I want to focus on is that for most of us in ministry, the really important things that we're going to wrestle with and try to do in our ministry, you have, you have to do technical stuff all the time. If you are in a supervisory position, 
if you oversee a large ministry or other people, my guess is you got into the role that you're in because you were really good at solving technical problems. Oh, this is broken. I can fix it. You need someone to organize that. I can do it. I don't want to devalue technical problems. They occur all the time. They're really important. But the point is they're relatively straightforward and often we can figure out what to do about them. The really important stuff that most of us need to do in ministry falls into this bucket of adaptive challenges, and that requires adaptive leadership. To go back to the point that we started with, if we're going to lead up and if we're going to lead change in our ministry, most of the time that's going to put us into the adaptive category. To go back to the point that Ron Heifetz made, if you use technical approaches to solve adaptive problems, it's not going to work for you. So if one of the things that I'm hoping you'll take out of this seminar is when you are dealing with a problem or a challenge, simply ask the question, is this a technical issue or is this an adaptive issue? Because that, so- that will send you down a different road with a different set of activities that you need to engage in. Here's why adaptive change matters. So again, Ron Heifetz says this, adaptive change stimulates resistance. Stimulates resistance because it challenges people's habits, beliefs, and their values. It asks them to take a loss, to experience uncertainty, and even to express disloyalty to people and cultures. Often adaptive changes are going to invite you to say, I know we haven't done it this way before, but we need to start doing it this way now. If your church has done things the same way for a fair amount of time, that becomes threatening. You're asking people to move into a space of uncertainty and anxiety. Uh, Ron Heifetz is one of those people who has, I don't know, two or three PhDs. He's like a world-famous Harvard professor, an accomplished musician, and then also practices as a doctor and a therapist. So he's like bringing all of that into this reality. He really camps out on this idea that adaptive change, it's asking people to experience and step into really uncomfortable territory. Now, some of you might be saying like, okay, can we just have the entry-level basic stuff? I'm in my first two years in ministry, and this just sounds really complicated. I started in youth ministry in 2003, so that was 18 years ago. And there used to be a day in my 18 years of experience where you could first start to give people, especially those who are starting out in youth ministry, like the really basic, just entry-level technical stuff. My experience is in this day and age of ministry, that is thrown out the window and you have to get pretty good at the complex stuff from the beginning. And I have lost count of how many church leaders I've had who get into ministry in the early stages, don't understand some of this stuff, get burned out and then move forward. So this is... I think applicable if you're in that first year or two, this is applicable if you are 30 or 40 years in, it is just the phase of ministry that we're in now. Uh, So talk to me again for just a second and then we'll move into like, what do we actually do about these? I would love to hear in your ministry setting right now, either what are the challenges that you're facing or what are some of the changes that you would like to make? They can be adaptive, they can be technical. I'm just curious like, You're at this conference because you're hoping to make something happen. What is that challenge you're facing or what's a change you want to see? Again, if you can keep it short, I'll just ask a few people to uh, shout one out. Yeah. Clarification. 
Yep. When you say things may not go back, is that in like things shall not or uh, things may possibly not? Things may possibly not go back to the way they were before. They could. So it's not things shouldn't, but just they, yeah, they might not. Okay, great. Yes. I think for me it's the commitment of the team. I think prior to COVID, everyone was excited and committed to the process. And I think post COVID, everyone's just trying to find themselves. The level of commitment has risen down significantly. Okay, so he had talked about the commitment of the team, and let's say team in your case might mean volunteers, it might mean staff people, but pre-COVID it felt a lot easier to have commitment, and in the scenario that we're in now, that commitment could be much more open-ended, out the door. Okay, so that's a challenge that we are facing, and I'm just going to say that one is adaptive, 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 and if Quick example of if you are dealing with an adaptive situation like that using technical means, here's the technical solution to lack of engagement. I just need to send them more emails, text messages, or maybe I'm not on the social media thing that they're on, so I'll just join that one and I'll remind them that way and then they'll start to engage, right? That's a technical solution to an adaptive problem. Every once in a while, we do need to communicate better. Not against that. But if you've tried every mode of communication and you're burning yourself out trying to learn whatever is the latest app because that's what people are on and it's not working, chances are you're dealing with an adaptive issue. Uh, just a couple more. Yeah, go for it. Uh, just for context, I'm coming from a Methodist um, background. Okay. So for us, the challenge is we think we need to facilitate tradition. Okay, so you said from a Methodist background, rethinking the implementation of traditions and structure. That one's easy, right? Okay, <laughs> bad joke. Yeah, and you're doing it, I mean, not to overcomplicate this, but in the midst of a schism, split, different lines being drawn in your denouncement. So there's a lot going on there that some of us have more or less that deal with. One or two more examples. Just what changes are you hoping to make? Which, uh, yeah, in the back. Re-engaging families after bringing back. Yeah, re-engaging families who maybe you know, they already like soccer, but soccer takes place outdoors and church takes place inside. So now they're even more bought into soccer. How do we get them back re-engaged? That's good. How about one more from this? Uh, yeah, go for it. How to help staff engage with people after they're already married themselves? Yeah, how to help staff engage with people when those staff are already weary and exhausted themselves. Now, I just want to say clearly, we are in adaptive church territory, right? Adaptive responses. And just even in the phrase is that idea of pastoral ministry used to be, if you could interpret scripture, throw out a good Greek verb conjugation every once in a while, right? Like you had that set of skills, people would show up and come to church. There was a certain set of skills that you needed to lead church and people would show up. And it's just an entirely different game today where this idea of being adaptive and responsive is part of where we're at and what we're dealing with. I've talked about adaptive change. I want to say just one more word about the leading up portion. One more quote from Ron Heifetz. He says this, the reality is that any social system is the way that it is because the people in that system want it to be that way. I'm going to say that one more time. The reality is that any social system, and I would include a church in this, is the way that it is because the people in that system want it to be that way. Now, he adds the caveat, at least those individuals and factions who have the most leverage. 
if you are in this room and you do not have absolute decision-making authority in your church, and hey, you might think your senior pastor does, spend some time talking to your senior pastor and he or she will tell you they do not have absolute unqualified decision-making authority. Every single one of us in a church or ministry setting needs to learn, learn how to lead up because some of those changes that we just talked about, you might say, oh, that's simple. We'll be able to move it forward. That'll be an easy change to make. The reality is there's some group of people and if it's still that way, they are the people whose voices matter or can influence that change. People want it to be that way, which means that part of your work in leading up is to figure out how do I actually influence change in that system. So with that, let me move into, um, again, practical implications and application of what we can do here. I'm gonna run through five quick points and then we will uh, make sure we've got time for some questions. Five insights for unlocking adaptive change, okay? Five insights for unlocking adaptive change. The first one is this, change is a process, not just an event. Change is a process not just an event. For each of these, I'll run through a quick uh, application to uh, Aaron and Community Christian Church, looking at them in hindsight. There's a couple of changes that needed to take place for Aaron and Community Christian. One was a very fast change. The other was a very slow change. The fast change that needed to take place, shortly after the pandemic hit, Aaron's leadership came to him and said, we need to do something differently. We are not sure what needs to happen, but you've got freedom. You tell us what you think needs to happen. That was a fast change, lot of openness from the leadership. Aaron was able to make that change quickly. Here's the slower change that needed to happen. Just because they had moved to this focus on small groups and young people does not mean that most of the adults in their church or the overall staff had made and shifted their mental model to say, you know what? I think that way that we've done church for a number of years, particularly with students, is outdated and ineffective. We are now gonna double down on the importance of all of us investing in young people as a community. The sort of things that Orange is all about if you pay attention to Orange's books. In that case, that sort of change for Aaron needed to be a process. And in processing some of this with him, and with their leadership team, I think there was this understanding that, hey, people are in this form of ministry now. I, I think they get it. I think we'll be able to sustain this. They were bought into a specific program and way of doing things for a specific amount of time. Their attitudes, values, and behaviors hadn't really changed. I've got the photos up there of a microwave and a crock pot because many of us are into microwave sort of change. We want to hit the button, have it done in 30 seconds, and we're good to go. The way that it goes in changing people's attitudes, values, and behaviors, I think the slow cooker or the crock pot is a much better example because the slow cooker uses a low amount of heat applied over a long period of time. Low amount of heat applied over a long period of time. Most of the changes that we need to make in a ministry setting where they're actually lasting and changing people's attitudes, values, and behaviors are about a low amount of heat applied over a long period of time. To give you a practical tool that might help with assessing the time of changes that you need to engage, 
uh, we've put in here under ideas, under point one, do a change readiness assessment. And for sake of space, I've just put this in a quick paragraph. Um, we have some of these available from the Fuller Youth Institute. But the idea is this, on a scale of one to five, and five is high, you could answer these five questions. And the questions are, how much time do you have to dedicate to this change? How much trust do you have from your supervisor to make this change? How open and ready are others in the church to this change? How much support do you have for this effort? And how many of the necessary resources do you have? Resources can be money. It can also be space. It can be volunteers, right? Resources broadly. If you were to answer each of those on a one to five scale and then add those up, if you're in like the 20 to 25 range when you add things up, I would say, hey, you've got a lot of momentum. Go ahead and move as fast as you can on that change. If you add those scores up and you're coming back to more like a five or a 10 or a 15, you are really gonna have to evaluate the amount of effort, time, and energy that you're gonna need to invest in that change. Most of, some of us do this intuitively with big changes. Very rarely do we do it intentionally where we actually say, okay, do I have the things that I need before I launch into this? So that may be one simple tool that can help you think about how fast should that change move. Here's the second uh, insight for adaptive leadership. And this comes from Scott Cormode at Fuller Theological Seminary. I have a few people in here who have been through Fuller Seminary training and they are keeping me honest on making sure I'm citing. So I appreciate that, John Kine. Leadership begins with listening. Now to tie this to Aaron Kohler and Community Christian Church, one of the things that they did so, 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 so well when they went through this training cohort is they spent time listening to their students. They actually made it an assignment where different staff people and volunteers had to sit down with teenagers one by one and ask them questions about what they value and what's going on in their life. They had done that before the pandemic hit. Once the pandemic hit, they were actually ready to respond. Keep in mind, they're used to program-driven ministry they had spent the time engaging with their teenagers that when the time came for changes to be made, they were ready and said, I think this is exactly what our teenagers need. So they pivoted to small groups in that way. To fast forward to now, Aaron is in the scenario where their ministry is not primarily driven by small groups. And he is hoping to work with the rest of the church and convince them we need to get back to that way of doing things. What I have told Aaron you need to spend some time talking to, but not just talking to, listening to various leaders and stakeholders throughout your church. Because the only way you're gonna be able to bring about some of the changes that you hope to see is by hearing their perspective, thinking about what they wanna see. One quick example from my own ministry setting when I was a youth pastor. I had a senior pastor who was driven by seeing the church grow. Anybody else know a senior pastor who's driven by seeing the church grow? Just a couple. I knew my senior pastor well enough that whenever I wanted to approach him with a new decision, I did not start by saying, here's what I want to do. I said, hey, our team was talking. We've got this great new idea for how we can grow the church. And again, we always talked about student ministry and what we were doing, but we always framed it from the perspective of what we knew our decision maker cared about. We got there because we were focused on listening. The practical idea that I would offer for you is to think about wherever you're meeting resistance, 
or anywhere that you're not sure how to move forward, think about who can I listen to and what are the questions that I can ask them to help me figure out how to move forward. Again, if you hit somewhere where you are meeting resistance in a change or you are simply not sure how to move forward, make a list of who are those people who I can sit down and listen to. I can ask them questions. I can ask about where they're coming from. You will be amazed, at least I've been amazed, as a ministry leader, when I sit down and am really listening to people, not just for pastoral counseling, not just, but really listening to what they care about, the number of things that they will tell you, and the advice that they will give about what direction you might go in the future, especially including your supervisor or supervisors. So again, leadership begins with listening. Uh, Number three, people support what they help to create. People support what they help to create. Uh, In Aaron's case, and when I replay this in hindsight, I was his coach throughout this training, so this is something I completely missed during the process. Aaron had his executive pastor in the training in the beginning, so there was this connection to what was happening in the wider church. As that training continued and as COVID continued, Aaron's senior leadership really backed off of the process with us because they had a whole lot of other things that they needed to figure out. So when Aaron ended up implementing these changes to move to a small group model, those changes were primarily made by their student and family ministry team without the involvement and support. Uh, They had support. They didn't have investment from the senior leaders in their team. One of the things I've seen to be true again and again and again is if you make something your problem and solve it on your own, you'll be the one to own it. You'll be the one to sustain it. If you can take something that needs to be done, but involve a group of people and make it our problem together, including that person who you might report to or other people whose input that you need, moving it from my problem to our problem, people own support and invest in whatever is created on the other side. So again, that practical idea, I'd be asking the question in whatever change needs to happen, how can I make this our problem? Who can I invite in to solve this challenge with me? Uh, Number four of five, uh, the best story wins. So tell a shared story of future hope. The best story wins. So tell a shared story of future hope. At the time that Community Christian made these shifts to go to a small group model, they were pretty desperate. There was not time for storytelling and there was a high urgency for change. So the change happened. Rarely do I see big changes happen without some sort of urgency or careful preparation over time. I think one of the best ways that you can either increase the urgency for change or motivate people to make changes is through the sorts of stories that you tell. And if I was talking to Aaron today, part of what I would tell him is, Aaron, you're going into a meeting with the rest of your church leadership at some point in the next few months to talk about this. I think you need to start planting seeds now where you're talking about all of the amazing fruit that happened when you moved to the small group model. Talk about the growth. Talk about the transformation in your students' lives. Tell those stories because I've seen again and again and again in church settings the best story wins. And if you have a positive, hopeful story that others can see themselves as part of, 
and you take the opportunity to tell that story, it is amazing how often that whoever preaches at your church is stretching for some sort of sermon example, often they might just grab your story, your example. In a meeting, you've got a chance to give an update on what's happening in your ministry, looking for what is that story that I can tell. The practical idea out of this, I would make a list of what are the one, two, or three most compelling stories in your ministry that point to the hope that you have and the things that you want to see. And every chance you get, I would tell that story again and again and again until people get it. I'm going to tell you one story of John Kimes Church. He's given me permission to tell this in other settings. He didn't know I was going to tell it now, but John's at Granger Community Church. John once texted me a photo after we did a growing uh, young training at his church. And it was a photo of the growing young diagram And normally it wouldn't have been a big deal that John texted me that photo. It would have been like, okay, cool. A ministry leader is, uh, you know, using the growing young stuff and finds it valuable. What set this one apart is he texts me a photo of that growing young diagram in the janitor's closet. And when John and I talked about it afterwards, at least John, this is now I remember it. So you can correct me if this is wrong. John said that for that custodian, This conversation about all of us as a church investing in young people helped him have something click where he didn't just think now my job is to vacuum, my job is to clean the windows. This person saw themselves as part of the ministry team such that when this person was cleaning the windows, when this person was vacuuming, they told John, I am now praying for the young people who are going to be be in that room. I am invested and I am part of the ministry team for what's happening there. That's a shared story of future hope, right? I tell that story many places that I go to talk about culture change to say, if you can get the janitor, the custodian on your team talking about the ministry efforts that have happened, you know your culture is starting to change. I could go story after story. You can share statistics. You can share what you want to see happen. It is stories that transform people. Stories are the currency of what ends up happening in our church. The way that you can tell a shared story of future hope uh, can make a big difference for the future. Last one is this, then we'll move into some questions. Uh, experiment on the margins. Okay, experiment on the margins. To go back to Community Christian, when COVID was happening, the stakes were high. Aaron had a lot of latitude in the changes that he could make to the programming. After they shifted from their program-driven, stage-driven model to small groups, and we had a conversation, he said, Nobody's called to complain. I'm not getting angry letters. Like we just dropped so much regular programming, but because of COVID, nobody's asking questions about it. Everybody's open. That reality is not the case for them today. They are back to people's expectations that we're doing church, quote unquote, as normal. So right now, my understanding is Aaron does not have the full freedom to just drop all of the stage-driven ministry that they do and shift to a small group model. At this stage, what Aaron is going to have to do is experiment on the margins. Experimenting on the margins means you don't take that area that your church cares most about and is most public and make all of your change there. Experimenting on the margins means you look for areas that are safe for you to experiment and are safe for you to try things. And you experiment and you try them. And as those things go well, you move them more into the center of your church. The idea that goes with that is if you think about the big change that you want to see, 
Think about the smaller pieces you can break that change into and think about where there are safe places that you can experiment with that change. Okay, the practical idea, you've got that big thing that you wanna see happen. Think about how you can break it into smaller pieces and implement different areas where that change might be able to happen. We wanna thank Jake for sharing with us how we can lead change for the sake of the humans in our ministries. And if you like this episode, we would love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We love this review by Charlie. They said, I've served for over 10 years in youth ministry and I wish this resource was available to me when I started. Every week brings content that is challenging and helps me grow as a ministry leader. Charlie, thanks so much for the review. We would love for you to join us at Orange Tour to continue learning about what it means to lead humans. So go to orangetour.org to save your seat for our one-day training event for leaders and volunteers in a city near you. And we'll see you next time on the Think Orange podcast.